listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's show, we bring you an interview that Nina Serrano did in 2009 with local activists and artist Mama Cuadro to commemorate an event they did to promote the elimination of violence towards women. I did an interview with local muralist and activist Lucia Gonzalez Hipolito. She recently finished a marvelous political mural in the Mission District in San Francisco. She discusses her current and future projects. We also bring you new music and the calendar of Bay Area events. La Raza Chronicles is produced by Nina Serrano, Julieta Kuznir, and myself, Brenda Yescas. Stay tuned. The following conversation with Mama Coatl and myself, Nina Serrano, took place in 2009. We were reviewing the exciting event we had just produced to commemorate the day to promote the elimination of violence towards women. This was our eighth year, and we were in the midst of advancing the following 16 days of action, which ended on December 10, 2009, Human Rights Day. We assumed we would create protest art and rituals again and again. But this revered and relentless activist, or artivist, a term she preferred, fell ill and passed away suddenly in 2015. As Mama Coatl or Silvia Para, her memory lives on. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. We have in the studio Mama Coat, performance artist, poet, musician, and initiator of the 16 Days of Artivism. What's that, you ask? Well, it's part of the whole campaign for the elimination of violence towards women and girls. Bienvenidos, Mama Coat. Gracias, Nina. So tell us about artivism, and then tell us about the 16 Days of Action, and tell us about the elimination of violence towards women and girls, which we're waiting for. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are waiting for that, no? Well, activism is, is a, a coin that many people have spoken, and for me, it just um, represents the energies present in a work that's designed to move us from the heart towards a healing of mental illness and social illness, no? And this illness of violence against everything that's feminine, against the planet, and against women and girls throughout the world is something that pains me very much, like many women feel the same way, no? And I thought, you know, what is the best thing for me as an artist to do with this impotence of facing tremendous violence against the planet and against my sisters, yeah, my mothers, against our relatives in general, than to um, do something creative, no? So in the mission and in San Francisco Bay Area, which is such a generous place for people who want to try out new things, I started then organizing this 16 days, first commemorating November 25th, 
or reclaiming November 25th to design it as a new holiday. The holiday is called International Day for the Elimination of Violence Towards Women and Girls, and it's celebrated throughout the world since the 80s. So I thought, you know, San Francisco, which was almost, or if not, the birthplace of the United Nations, no? So it would it just seemed natural that we can expand and celebrate this, this getting together in this consciousness from San Francisco and amplify the voice of our sisters across the globe. You mentioned the United Nations. Not only was the United Nations born in San Francisco, but that San Francisco is the first place we know of in the United States to be celebrating the elimination of violence towards women and girls on this international date, November 25th, because it was a day mandated by the United Nations. That's right. People would say to me, it's a very difficult weekend. You cannot mess with Thanksgiving and Black Friday and all of those commercial-based patriotic holidays that are so very rooted in the American culture. And also, I was facing was that the, the incredible bubble that the American consciousness is in, separated from the rest of the world. These walls coming at the border, at the seams of the nation, no, it's like we don't want to find out what's happening on the other side of the wall. And I think what's happening on the other side of the wall concerns us greatly because it's the same thing that's affecting us as women here inside the walls, no? So it was a very good exercise in breaking borders of consciousness and this limitation that Americans are protected from from, you know, violence and war. Let's describe for the listeners what that day was, November 23rd, Mm -hmm. when the proclamation was made to celebrate November 25th as the kickoff day for the elimination of violence towards women and girls and the 16 days of artivism. Can you describe that? Well, we gathered at the steps of City Hall at noon on that Tuesday, and it was very, uh, muy emocionante, very excited because we didn't know if it was going to rain, and every year we face this weather question, no, we have beautiful weather in order to celebrate us in this way. And year after year, the sky is clear for us. And this year was no exception. So we arrived there and we were just everybody, you know, very eager to speak and participate. And in the distance, it had been raining earlier in the day. We didn't know if it was going to rain. But just as we were getting towards 12 o'clock noon, which was the declared time of our press conference and rally, we began to hear drumming in the distance and the skies clearing and suddenly the winter and rain jackets seemed too hot and the the drumming came closer and closer. That's right. And then my brothers, Mexica dancers, they just settled in such a beautiful way in front of the steps of City Hall and opened up this sacred space for us to speak our truth. We thought that it was so beautiful that men came out to support us in this way, you know, to open up the, the skies for us and, uh, and and give us this honorable way in which to begin speaking our truth, no? And there was one moment, one dancer, all covered in feathers and with all this beautiful brown, muscled <laughs> bodies showing, bent over and picked up his conch shell and he went to blow on it. And at that exact moment, the noon siren went off. And it seemed as if that enormous sound came out of this small, humble shell. And I really, really love that moment, Nina, because that alarm that is designed to put people in alert, no, of, of 
some disaster coming, no, became like the opening call, you know, listen to the women at this hour. And it was really powerful. We got a lot of support from the local government, from the Board of Supervisors. Uh, we're always trying to find support everywhere we can to, to, to ask people to open up to this possibility of declaring the end of violence as part of our cultural heritage, no? I invite people to examine what is underneath this culture of violence that we participate in mindlessly. How is it that we can disentangle that? We have 16 days, I say, from November 25th to December 10th so that we can dismantle this concept of violence. Why do we find it necessary to destroy the earth in order for us to feed our families? Why do we find necessary for women to go through such unspeakable sexual violence, you know, in the workplace and, and in their family? You know, why do we have to sacrifice our daughters in order for this society or this civilization to exist, no? Uh, we think that is, is enough destruction. It's it's about time to wake up on the other side of this frame of mind. The three supervisors that came out to support us, I'd like to let voters know, mm-hmm. were John Avalos, mm-hmm. uh, David Campos, mm-hmm. and I don't remember his first name, but his last name was Doughty. Mm-hmm. And all three of those city supervisors spoke from their heart as men, mm-hmm. and they spoke as husbands and fathers and brothers. It was very moving. It was. I was very surprised. Program to hear some protocol. And when we were listening to these people just break down and, and, and speak sincere words, we could not believe it, no? So we had a lot of support from our brothers this year. It was really moving and really powerful. And Joaquin Torres from the mayor's office read the mayor's proclamation proclaiming November 25th the kickoff day for the International Day for the Celebration of the Elimination of Violence Towards Women and Girls. That's right. And in that document, he includes that uh, institutional violence is part of this illness that we're all facing. It's not just a domestic issue. It's not just an isolated case of police abuse. It is the systematic rating of our families. And also, you know, in the, in the, in the medical industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, and of course in the news, no, in the communications industry, how we are uh, devalued constantly by all of this este, public opinion or manufacturing of this consent of Tea Party and uh, extreme, extreme conservative supremacy politics, no? And also the transgender community spokesperson mm-hmm. talked to us. Yes. And that was very interesting. And she brought up a concept that I hadn't heard before, and she talked about the unity of biological women and transgender women. Mm-hmm something that was very important to her. Yeah, and it's, it still blows my mind. I'm, I'm new to, to that particular scenario myself, no? But I thought it was really important that a person that is creating her own life, her own identity, speak up about this. And I invited Aurora Grajeda, this is who we're talking about, this, this woman to speak because she has also a lot of experience in organizing the migrant communities. No? So she knows what it means to be persecuted on many different levels. And as well, I remember that when the killings of the women of Juarez began in the 90s, the first people who were falling were transgender women. 
And so nobody took notice of them, you know, for the first five years, all these transgender women are being murdered and dismembered. And of course, everything was related to uh, uh, the mafia or to their sexual orientation or to their way of life, you know, always blaming the, the victim for her lifestyle, provoking her own, you know, demise. Uh, so it, it's very important to know that when a campaign against women is brewing, the first people to fall are always transgender women and, and the gay population. No? And also Mona Lisa Wallace of Now spoke, mm-hmm. and she spoke about a campaign against a restaurant chain. Yeah. Do, do you remember what that was? I think they were planning to open up a Hooters. And you know, that's a restaurant where plastic boobies. <laughs> <laughs> so she was objecting because this establishment that requires the waitresses to wear this very sexual attire and to bare their breast almost was planning to be a family restaurant. And she thought it was degrading for women. And so this whole campaign of if it's going to be like, you know, entertainment establishment, but not a family restaurant. And so this this platform that we created so humbly, my comadre Nina Serrano and yours truly, Mama Coat, is serving as as a space from which our people can speak and and it was wonderful, too, that there was a small group of young women, girls, really, yeah. with big, big, small girls with big signs yes. saying future feminists <laughs> or young feminists. And it was they that were objecting to this family, child-oriented restaurant that was going to have booster chairs and high chairs that was so aggressively sexual. Indeed, indeed. So we thank all of them for being there also representatives of her church, people from different orientations and from different walks of life, from different ethnicities coming together. Uh, Poet laureate Deborah Major also spoke, and she was there with us on November 27th as well. Really important words from very, very strong leaders in the community. And I'm really humbled and thrilled to have been the, the lady who swept the space, you know, to open up the space for this to occur is the most satisfying thing. This did not go unnoticed by the Board of Supervisors, who then invited you to a closed chamber to be honored. Can you tell us about what happened behind closed doors? Oh, my goodness. It was terrifying (laughs) (laughs) to walk into the building of the government because it's such a palace in there compared to people who are outside of this. And, of course, the metal detectors and all of the marble, etc. It felt uh, a little outside of of my realm, which is outside with the people and the earth, very close to the dirt, yeah. But when we were there, the whole mechanism of the government, we witnessed how this is going to work out. They were trying to figure out the mechanism to choose the next mayor, etc. And then John Avalos was very excited to have everybody sign this recognition, no, of the work that we've been doing under the name of Mamacoat and For me, it was just the recognition of the work that we are all doing. I spoke in front of them and I reminded them, you know, that we have to examine the the violence inherent in our way of life as first world, no? And they were very receptive. I was quite shocked. Well, 
maybe our work is paying off. Maybe repeating this stuff year after year for six years on the steps of City Hall, that the people inside City Hall are beginning to hear us. Yes, it seems such a humble offering, but it's like a drop of water. This is what I envision, a drop of clean water making a little pool. And I know that that pool is going to quench our daughters or our daughter's daughters at thirst, you know, when the time comes. So what more can a woman aspire to do, no? <laughs> yes. These following poems and songs were recorded informally by me years ago and dedicated to all of you in this future time. A goddess may lose her name when in a drunken rage, defiant and aimless, she curses all men, condemning them to eternal hunger. A girl may lose her name when she refuses to be called upon by the voice of domination, when she refuses to pay taxes and use papers, when she refuses political borders and corporate interests. She is then identified as transgressor, terrorist, tormenta, turning all knowing on its back, its mouth open to the sky like a thirsty migrante on an endless desert walk. A G will lose her name, burnt as a witch, buried as a whore, burned as a single mother when she quits feeding the ingrate, when she halts hate, when she spins spells, when she stops repeating regrets. Oh, yes, an OG will lose her name any day. Muy buenas las tengan todos my fellow Americans. I am here as a witness. I am here to testify about losing name. Because you see, my name, my good name, the one that was handed down to me from a tree of fatherly violence, from a faith that blackens my face, that binds me to silence. My name is the crown stripped from Inanna's head at the seventh gate of the great below. My name still hostage in the seventh floor of Homeland Security law. My name pushed on me without my consent, just as the term feminina minor faith has become a threat. A threat, the threat of my freedom to exist, to create, to walk across fences, to raise my children according to my conscience. A threat that forces this my body of desire down into a deeper, darker underground where Roleros reminisce Rodrigo, esperando su camión en la corner de la 24, where brown faces want to sell you a flower, where poets drink up their homelessness and pale, skinny hipsters continue to displace the city's children. My name. Wetback, hippiteca, mojada, alien, scrapa, spike, speaks, cheap labor, cook, maid, janitor, farm worker, pedestrian, disposable, lower class. My name dripping with the blood of all the illegal aliens on whose backs we dine each night. My name, this little name of mine. I want to let it fall and I want you to catch it in your hands and shred it and light it and smoke it and blow it into a re-evolution. Into a re-evolution. Porque yo fui a la revolución. Yo fui. And this is why I 
want you to hear me when I say that my name is self-identified. My name is Salvia, Sage, Savia, Wise, Sativa, Saliva, Santa, Sabina, Silvando, Siluetas, Si, Silfides, Sirena, Serenada, Soy, Sombra, Soy, Sofia. So, don't call me a female, Mr. Big. Don't call me a woman, for you know damn well that I am your mama. I am your mama coat. I am your mama quao, your seawall coat. I am your mama show coat. Your mama tonancing. Your mama yautly. Your mama rising. Your mama rising. Your mama rose. How would you say... How would you say, I have a message, but I am sick with words? Yes, I am sick of the truth. I am sick of concepts and designations, status and jurisdictions, sick of economics, of psycho-spiritual jargon. I am tired of numerology, revolutions, the Zodiac, the Bible, the English Week, the Constitution, the Gregorian year, the cross and the rose, the sacrificial goat. I am sick and tired of the program of killing to eat, to shop, to invest, to survive, to forget. I'm running out of words and I am running out of time. And at the same time, I feel so paranoid about mass destruction, you know. I feel the urge to run. It is hard for me to look up when I daily see the streak of metal the man made cloud. I suspect poisoning everything. How can one take a deep breath after fumigation? How can we keep on swallowing black water? Where is the end of this occupation? What kind of world would there be for my daughter? while well, a cabal of incestuous predators rotting in historical plunder gamble with total impunity the destiny of humankind. We're down here, standing in line for the newest vaccine, in total passivity swallowing the mortal lie, sacrificing our daughters and sons, dropping bombs in the name of a flag. We're down here, the highly educated cultural creature, subject to the royal book. All we can do is repeat since we cannot understand the sounds we emit. We can't figure out the source of our pain. We are perfectly incapable to see this prison is made of language. Out of words like love and light, master terms crafted to convert us into faith, into fuel, into files. This prison is made of angular mirrors, out of angels and lords, electrical shocks, the bugles of war, democracy, heroin for the soul. This prison is made of gold. And we're in here. Bewildered in perpetuity, betraying our own descendants, worshipping the executioners, the dazzlers, the wizards, with their Adam and Eves, with their pyramids, with the 360 degrees, the little piece of the sky, their color, their crown, their mining civilization, their parasitic nature, their plans of extermination. This prison is made out of romantic law and language, and like romantic love, the end is always tragic. And that definitely was not a storm. No, and this is not a poem. This is not a real song. But perhaps 
It is the sigh of the unemployed Watching his life go by Like a television episode Or the anguish On the jornalero's eye On a rainy day On a hungry day Or the hopelessness Of the urbanite Intimate with his computer In the middle of the night <laughs> Anything Anything at all But don't worry, I know Sing music, no. Perhaps it's a ridiculous attempt to both mourn and celebrate the miracle of life in the face of genocide. Cause I eat Mama Mother Earth, who tlasolteo mi tonansin, 
great metabolizer, fearsome lady of the burial grounds. Please take my impotence and sorrow and the ignorance of my broken mind and help us all grow roots into your heart. Where we can all relate and where we can all remain as a family again, 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 oh, again. Thank you, Nina. You just heard a conversation with Sylvia Para, known as Mama Coatl, in 2009 with her informally recorded poems and songs. Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas. And tonight I have in the studio with me Lucia Gonzalez Hipólito, muralist and activist. And she'll be speaking to us about a mural that she just finished in the Mission District and the story behind the piece. And also just um, talking about her experiences doing murals in the Mission and in the Bay Area. So welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Lucia. Thank you for having me, Brenda. So I wanted to discuss the mural that you just finished. Tell me a little bit about the theme of the mural. What's in the centerpiece? I know that a little bit about the mural, but can you tell us a little bit about the theme behind the mural? Yeah, uh, the mural is about um, mostly focusing on Emilcar Perez Lopez, who was killed by SFPD in 2015. He was shot six times in the back and uh, in the Mission District near my house. He was 21 years old at the time, and um, 
We, the team of us muralists, wanted to create an altar honoring him and his legacy, the work that he did as a construction worker and restaurant worker, as well as honoring his family. So the theme mainly focuses on him and them, but also has candles um, everywhere to symbolize other people, other black and brown brothers and sisters who've been murdered by SFPD, as well as border agents, um, mainly because he was from Guatemala and was undocumented. So the whole piece, the theme is an altar representing people who have faced this injustice. That's the frustration I feel with a lot of what's happening with SFPD is that they just feel like they can shoot people and there's no repercussions because apparently the two cops that uh, killed Amilcar, there was no repercussions for them, right? No, that's actually why we decided to put kind of sneak messages in the mural. We put the badge numbers of Officer Eric Raboli and Craig Tiffe, who who killed him and never were indicted or held responsible. So um, the Justice for Melkar Coalition is demanding justice for him and also be granted a work visa for his father as well, which they have still not um, been granted. You just talked a little bit about how it, how it came about, but how did the mural come about and how many people worked on the mural? Can you tell us like uh, the names of those people and uh, how, how you all came about? Yeah, it was um, actually started when Father Richard, who is a local priest in the mission, he started Justice for Amilcar Coalition, and he actually walked into Presida Eyes, which is a local place in the mission where uh, they do murals and and, uh, art workshops. And he was looking for a muralist to get this mural done for Amilcar, and Susan Cervantes, who is a legend in the mission and worked on the women's building, she got him in touch with Carlo Wochuk, who is fairly new to the mural game, but's been around in the mission for like 10 years, uh, leading mural tours and working with Presida Eyes. And she was going to do the mural originally on Folsom. It was going to be much smaller. But then she got a bigger wall um, once they started working with Homie SF, which is a youth organization in the mission. It's the smallest youth organization in the neighborhood. And um, then they got involved with Calle 24 and Mission Housing, who gave them this huge wall, which is above the Calle 24 offices on uh, 24th and Cap. And after that, then I got on board with the design and it moved um, it moved into this huge altar piece. And then Flavia Mora came on, who is a local poet. And then after that, we had Pancho Pescador, uh, Christian Munoz, uh, Adriana Adams, Annalisa Escobedo, and... Um, Oh, and of course, I forgot one of my best friends, uh, who is Sonia G. Molina, who came in much later in the mural and worked on all the lettering. So the poem on the side that Flavia Mora did, and then all the lettering on the candles and the credits as well. And uh, I, I believe... I believe that is it. And well, we did have a lot of youth involved too from Homie that actually helped during workshops and stuff work on the design too. And then they came and helped paint. So it was a big um, collaborative community process. And 
you talk a little bit about the design. Um, yeah, so how did you all come together to talk about who was going to be featured in the mural? Because I know that there's other people featured that are um, also killed by the SFPD. Like, I have a couple of people here, like Alex Nieto and Jesus Adolfo Delgado Puente. And then you also do, you have images of Oscar and Valeria Martinez who um, drowned in the Rio Grande trying to cross the border. So how did you all come together and talk about which stories do you, did you want to express in the mural yeah that that part was really hard because it's crazy how many people have lost their lives crossing the border and how many people have been killed by the police department in our country so um it was hard to choose like which people were going to be on this candles because it looks like a huge wall but really it wasn't as much space as we thought and um so uh, Alex Nieto, you know, was killed on Bernal Hill, which is near my house. And he knew a lot of my friends, knew him. And he's a pretty central figure in our body. Also, it felt really important to include him. And uh, we included a hawk feather next to his candle as well, because a hawk has been so prevalent in the movements around Alex and has been a big part of just sitting at Bernal Hill. Um, yeah, also Adolfo Delgado and Mario Woods and Luis Congora, who have been big names in the mission of being murdered by SFPD. Adolfo Delgado a little bit more recently, but um, the atrocity was so intense. I mean, him being shot in the trunk, uh, shot at 99 times. Uh, and then... Uh, then later we included Roxana Hernandez because we felt that it was really important to include a trans woman um, because uh, they're not spoken about as much and and her death was just uh, so so um, un I mean it hasn't really been spoken about much in the news and the way she died the not being given treatment. And then uh, Oscar and Valeria, you know, a father and daughter crossing the Rio Grande, like you said, and and then uh, Claudia Patricia, um, Claudia, pa sorry, Claudia Paricia Gomez Gonzalez as well, and I believe, I believe that's all the people we included on the candles. I mean, later, you know, I got people asking me, oh, well, why didn't you put in, you know, Jessica Williams, or why didn't you put in this person? It's really just that we didn't have enough space, and really, as a group, we just decided who was whose stories were affecting us that much in the moment, and whose stories were affecting our neighborhood that much in the moment, and whose stories related a lot the most to Amilcar's story, who was a young person of color, a young man uh, whose family was f from Guatemala and who he crossed the border himself. So, And speaking of stories, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your story and how did you get started painting and doing murals? Yeah, I grew up in the mission my whole life, uh, five block radius, born, born and raised. And I got started painting and drawing as a kid, uh, mostly, I think, because my dad was artistic and, and both my parents encouraged it. And um, I was influenced a lot by my own neighborhood. I mean, a lot of my parents' friends were 
artists and my mother is a activist in the neighborhood and she was really good friends with people like Rene Yanez and uh, Danielle Galvez and Josh Sances and Art Hazelwood who are all been big time mentors in my life and who are super uh, super legendary in the Bay Area. And then, you know, my father, uh, my, my, his wife, my other mother is Juan Alicia, who is, was a big influence in my life growing up too. Uh, these murals, I think, and my mother's activism really influenced me to like pursue political art and pursue muralism. So that was really how I, how I got started. I mean, my big, my first big project was in 2012, the Mission Makeover mural I did with my father in Balmy Alley that uh, was probably like I had been planning it for years because I wanted to talk about gentrification in my neighborhood and it really was affecting me uh, growing up, seeing all the changes happening and I wanted to speak to the youth of the neighborhood. Yeah, you have such an amazing story. And I, I also, I follow you on Instagram. And like one of the things that I love about um, your posts is that you also, I feel like you do a mural. If It feels like every like month or so. I don't know. I don't know if that, that makes sense. Because it's like, it seems like you're always so super busy and you wanted to tell the stories about not only what's happening in the Bay Area and the mission, but also what's happening around the world. So can you tell the listeners about your murals that you just finished or any future plans to do any more? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the cool thing about uh, just doing art in the city is that there's so many interesting people that come and go and also just like are from here that you can connect with that everybody's trying to show love right now. And I think I think everybody's trying to come together in that way. And and and, you know, one door opens and then and then another opportunity comes around. So as soon as this mural with Amilcar ended, uh, one of the mural, two of the muralists that were working on it, who are legendary, are Pancho Pescador and Christian Munoz, invited me to work on a mural with them about Chile because they're both Chilean and they wanted to talk about the resistance moving movement happening there. So I talked, I went and spoke with the director, Christopher Stratton, on a Clarion Alley mural project and got them a wall. And so we just like, like literally two days after the Amilcar mural was finished, we went to Clarion and made this piece about um, Mon Laferte and her protest statement at the Grammys about the torture and rape and killing in Chile right now. So that was the last one I just did, and um, I'm about to do one in my friend's restaurant that just opened, Fiesta Bowls. Uh, he's my friend Jose. His family's from Michoacan. They're opening, like, a restaurant that has, like, these traditional Michoacan-style ice cream and, and fruit bowls. So, yeah, I just, I'm, I just keep getting opportunities, so I just feel really lucky about that. Yeah, and I feel like you have like a good support system around you too of of artists and and people that um, truly are passionate about these issues as well. So you've been listening to Lucia Gonzalez Ipolito. She's a muralist here in the Bay Area, and um, we wanted to talk a little bit more about political art and its importance in the mission. And there's so many, like you said, there's so many um, alleys out there in the in the mission that are supporting local artists and want to talk about and talk about these stories. So do you want to um, talk a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, I mean, that that's really been a big influence in my life, like I said. Uh, I think that I think that art, especially right now in the times we're in, like I think they need to be political. Um, I think that especially if you know how to use technique and you know how to paint and you know how to get a wall and you know how to like get something done really quick, then you should speak about things that are going to call out and are going to inform people and educate because sometimes that's our only means of standing up against things that we feel strongly about and standing up for what's right. I mean, you know, sometimes I don't, I, I can't go to a protest and, and sometimes this is, this is how I express myself and this is how I stand up for what I believe in is through my paint. So, you know, I really respect, uh, people like Joss Sances in the East Bay who has done so many political murals and who invited me to do murals with him. Like we went to Palestine together and we did a tile mural in a refugee camp called Daesha, which is near Bethlehem. And that was for a community center there. And it really, it really, um, it really inspired a lot of the people there. So I think that, um, I think that even small murals that we do here can be really uh, profound in 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 a, in a global sense. We can share them with the world, and and I think that brings a lot of solidarity too. Definitely, definitely. Tell me a little bit more about the mural that you worked on, the the Women of Resistance mural. Yeah, that mural we finished um, last year, and it was a really big collaboration of women painting other women. Uh, I felt like it was really needed at the time because we're living in such a patriarchal society and um, the current times that we're in, I think that we really need a woman of color who is indigenous and queer to be, be leading our country. So we we're really highlighting a lot of women who who are those things? I mean, we have uh, the. I got a door that was in Balmy Alley. It was actually on the back of my mother's house, and because they had to replace the garage door, uh, Edie Boone's mural was there before, and she was gracious enough to let us do a new one. And my mother's good, good friend and and hardcore activist uh, Judy Brady had passed away and my mother wanted me to do a mural that included her. So the Women of Resistance mural, it uh, was a big team that I gathered. It was not only the collective I'm part of that we screen print posters at uh, protests and events called the San Francisco Poster Syndicate, but I also gathered women I knew that were painters like Fernanda Parker and Adriana Adams, Sonia G. Molina, Yasmin Matriz, and we came together and we painted this mural that is three rows of women, young to veteran activists, uh, including in the center Ahed Tamimi, the Palestinian 19-year-old who went viral for slapping back a soldier that was disrespecting and, and violating her family. And then on the top in the back is Judy Brady, and beside her are other veteran activists like, you know, like Angela Davis, Alicia Garza, Barbara Lubin, uh, Amy Goodman even is on there. Uh, and they're basically all these women. There's about 37 women. They're holding 
in the back row, they're holding up a group of faceless women who are masks, who are not uh, known in these movements like Guerrilla Girls, Pussy Riot, Zapatistas, and these women are cutting strings above them from puppeteers. And are, these are these like strings of oppression held by capitalist structures in place. So, uh, so you know, uh, plastics, uh, oil, big pharmaceuticals, weaponry, and they're kind of taking back the 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 power. So all all of this is in one garage door. Is that am I, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. It's the garage door, and then the surrounding wall above it. And the surrounding wall is actually like these these blue grayish black tones, and then the door itself with the women on it is vibrant orange, yellow, and red to symbolize like warmth and light and uh it's when the when the when the sun hits it it's actually like super super vibrant so people kind of like flock to it anyways and it's right in the center of balmy alley that's pretty amazing yeah i'm i'm seeing pictures of it and it's oh you're you're right it's so vibrant and beautiful and it just like kind of takes your breath away a little bit all these women together congregating in one painting it's really powerful Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> For our listeners that have been listening to you want to learn a little bit more about you, the projects that you're working on, the projects that you just finished, um, like this one in Balmy Alley, where can they learn more about you and also the, the collectives that you're a part of? Yeah, um, I mean, I should do more with my website, <laughs> but it's uh, C-I-A-L-U art, like my name, Scramble, Lucia, but C-A-L-U. And my Instagram's the same as Chialu Art. And I mostly I mostly share my art on Instagram, but so yeah, that's probably the best way to find me. And then San Francisco Poster Syndicate is spelled SF Poster Syndicate on Instagram too, and that's the main collective I'm part of. I mean, I also do work with my mom's organization in Berkeley that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, the Middle East Children's Alliance. And they're right here. They're right here in Berkeley. Um, and they're Mecca for Peace at, on Instagram. So, yeah, those are those are the main collectives I'm part of. I mean, I feel like I should be part of a collective of women muralists in the city, but we haven't really, like, gotten that together yet. But, uh, but I want to start, like, a Mujeres Muralistas like dos or reincarnated or next generation or something just to like show the up and coming black and brown women of the city that are holding it down just like the women who did the women's building yeah i hope you could definitely make that happen i think it's something that is needed in the mission district and how many do you think how many women like you are doing murals across the mission and across um, the bay area do you think oh my god there's so many but uh, I mean, right now I, I I've been really looking up to Elaine Chu and Marina Perez Wong, who uh, are called the Twin Mural Company. Is their is their I don't want to say collective, but it, it's it's their brand name, I guess. And they're two really beautiful souls and painters. And Marina actually is suffering right now from stage four breast cancer. So she has a GoFundMe right now if anybody wants to look into that to help her out. And um, and who else? I mean, Monica Magtoto, who uh, her partner, Eric uh, Eli, 
Lippert is also a muralist. Them two are really great. And, um, but I mean, we're talking about women. So also, uh, you know, the women I worked on this mural, I mean, Amilcar, the Amilcar mural was mostly, even though Pancho and Christian were there, they even talked about how they were doing a mural that was designed by women and how different that felt for them, how like, how they could tell the difference. And most of the women that were on it were me, uh, Carla Wochuk, Anna, Annalisa Escobedo, and Adriana Adams, and Flavia Mora, who I would say like were all upcoming muralists, women muralists in the city. And I want to um, tell the listeners again, where are both of the murals that you ta- just talked about today, the Almilcar mural and the Women of Resistance mural, where are those two located in the city? The Amilcar mural, which we're actually calling, I keep calling it that because that's what we've called it the whole process and that's who it's about. But what actually we titled it is Alto al Fuego en la Misión, which is a reference to the Alto al Fuego mural by Juan Alicia that was done on 21st in Mission that uh, was destroyed, but she has she's going to uh, restore. And we reference that because we used this, the hands that are in her mural uh, in ours. So Alto al Fuego en la Misión is like ceasefire in the mission. And that one is located above the Calle 24 offices on the corner of Cap Street and 24th. And the Women of Resistance is located in the middle of Balmy Alley, which is in between 24th and 25th Street. And it's right across from the Mission Makeover mural. Well, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show, Lucia. And I want to thank you for um, talking about your beautiful art, talking about the story behind the murals that you've been working on and will be working on, and all the people, all the amazing people that you're part of this amazing community in San Francisco. So thank you for coming to La Raza Chronicles. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you.
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and this is a calendar of Cultura y Arte for the Bay Area. First Saturday, January 18th, La Peña Cultural Center presents Flamencura, 7th Annual Melissa Cruz Flamenco Showcase. In her 7th Annual Showcase, flamenco artist Melissa Cruz presents her dancers, who this year, in addition to further mastering their repertory, have choreographed many of their pieces. They are dedicating this showcase to the concept of flamencura. Legendary flamenco guitarist Paco Peña defines flamencura as the quality of flamenconess, the heart and soul of flamenco. This event will be held at La Peña Cultural Center, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. Starts at 8 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to lapeña.org. For Saturday, January 18th, the Women's March will be happening across the nation and here in the Bay Area. In Oakland, in addition to a march through the streets of downtown Oakland, this year's event will feature the largest community action fair ever, with entertainment, food, art, and a wide range of organizations offering opportunities to make a difference in Alameda County. If you want more information on the Women's March, you could go to womensmarchoakland.org or womensmarchsf.org. For Sunday, January 19th, join Bombazo en la Bahia for an afternoon of live bomba music and dance in a family-friendly, inclusive community environment. In between bomba sets, they'll be dancing to salsa, bachata, and reggaeton music. This is at the AU Lounge, 2430 Broadway in Oakland. Starts at 4.30 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. And lastly, for Thursday, January 23rd, a tribute to Celso Piña with his band La Ronda Bogota, plus Barrio Manush. Celso Piña started playing music in his hometown with his brothers Eduardo, Ruben, and Enrique. They formed a band called Celso Piña y su Rondaya Bogotá. Together, they brought cumbia rebajada around the world. This is at the New Parish, 1743 San Pablo Avenue in Oakland. Starts at 9 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to thenewparish.com. And that was the calendar of events, cultura y arte. For the Bay Area. If you have events you would like to add to the calendar, email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook, at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. <laughs>